If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I just want to quickly ask if somebody could uh, grab a water for me by any chance, like a cup of water. I'd really appreciate it. Luke chapter 2. text we're mainly going to be looking at is Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38 this morning. We did all that for them, and they didn't even say thank you. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever said it? You ever done something for somebody only to never be offered a thank you at the end? Now I want you to pause for a moment and think of the many things you should be grateful for that you've admitted to yourself, but you haven't really ever asked and thanked God for in your prayers. You've taken it for granted without as much as uttering a word, a prayer, or even an action to show that you're grateful. You ever said thank you, but you really didn't mean it? You ever been told that by a parent, say thank you? You ever tell your children to just say thank you? We've all done it, right? We've, we've been in that spot. We've done it with our children. And at the end of the day, sometimes those words are empty, are they not? They're empty because our heart didn't connect with what was spoken. That describes just about all of us. But we all need to be fully engaged in order to truly appreciate what's been given to us. This morning we'll be looking at the importance of service and the different things that we should be grateful for when it comes to God and others. In fact, there's a person in the Christmas story that truly endured much, but with the right heart of service and thanksgiving, they persevered, they continued. In Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38, we read the verses about Anna. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Thank you. You see, there are particular things that we see right off the bat here in this text. We see Anna, who's called a prophetess, one who speaks on behalf of God, directing attention to him. A small recap of others that were considered prophetesses in the Bible. Well, one that we see right in the beginning in Exodus is Miriam. In Exodus 15, 20 through 21, we read the following. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Notice specifically what Miriam was doing here was bringing attention to God's triumph over the Egyptians in the drowning of the army in the sea. 
The unfortunate thing, though, for Miriam is that at times she spoke against Moses and was called out for that by God. In fact, Miriam also means bitterness or rebellion. There's also another prophetess that we see later on in the book of Judges. Her name is Deborah. We see this in Judges 4, 4 through 7. It says, Now Deborah, prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abednoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. You see, Deborah steps up when others drop the ball and essentially was an instrument used by God to push Barak to lead the forces of Israel into battle against Sisera. In fact, the name Deborah means bee. And as one commentator put it, like the queen bee, she raises up the swarm for battle, sending out the drones to protect the hive and conquer new territory. Deborah stepped up when others dropped the ball. In fact, there are others we see in Scripture, such as Hilkiah in 2 Kings 22, who speak the truth of God's word to others. But our main focus is Anna here in Luke chapter 2. Some quick facts about Anna. First of all, we've already mentioned this. She's a prophetess. She speaks the truth of God's word. We also read that she's an older 84-year-old widow. Her husband died seven years after marriage. We also see that she faithfully served in the temple. And then the last quick fact that we see here is she's known as a thankful person. Anna, in fact, means grace or favor in Hebrew. And the picture that's painted for us in this text is one of grace showing up where Anna is prophesying. Anna is very relatable to so many today. She went through so much in her life, but maintained a heart of gratitude. In fact, losing a husband early in marriage didn't stop her from serving. It stops most people. She served until the age of 84 in the temple. In fact, Anna has two character traits that are so vital that we're going to look at today. Number one, she was faithful. Verses 36 through 37. And number two, she was thankful. In verse 38. Go number one, faithful. Verses 36 through 37. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. What a testimony. You see, so many stop serving God because certain trials 
that they've experienced put an end to that. She was a widow for over 60 years, but was faithful in serving her God. Who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. You see, most are faithful in service when things are going well. But when it all falls apart, they are nowhere to be found. When we don't feel like it is enough of an excuse for many of us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Action springs not from thought, but from a readiness for responsibility. You see, Anna was not dependent on her husband in serving her God. And neither should we. So many serve only because others around them serve. But when push comes to shove, what's the motivation? So many are faithful for a short time. Anna was faithful for over 60 years. What a testimony. You see, people came and went to the temple on a daily basis. Well, one person you could bank on being there was Anna the prophetess. Being committed is a tall order for many, because we as human beings are fickle, aren't we? Hardships can either bring us closer to God, or be the excuse to run further away. How committed are you to God, and what he has called you to? Ask yourself that question. Are you only committed as long as you get something out of it? You see, Anna had every right to quit in our eyes. Her husband's gone. She should take it easy. But instead, Anna is faithful. You see, the truth is this. You and I that are serving God need to ask ourselves the question, what could possibly take that commitment away? Though we may not always know how we should, should respond and would respond, there is something to be resolved, to being resolved like the faithful saints of Scripture, like Paul who says, I will press on towards the goal of the, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, the truth is this, Anna was committed to prayer and fasting, utter dependence on God. Fasting played an important role in the life of a Jewish follower of God because it was originally meant to be an expression of grief to show sorrow over sin or guilt and was expressed in abstaining of food or drink voluntarily. Unfortunately, like any good thing, it was abused and misapplied. You see, Pharisees did it for the wrong reason. They did it for show and performance. Their heart was not in it. Fasting typically occurred on Mondays and Thursdays, which really makes more sense when you read the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We're just going to read a snippet of that where Jesus brings this up. In Luke 18, 11 through 12, it says this, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast Twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. 
You see, the heart of pride is found in many people that compare with others and don't recognize their, their own sin. The problem is not in the fasting or the tithing. Don't assume that that's not something God wants anymore. Don't read that in the text and go, because hypocrites did it the wrong way, we shouldn't do it. That's not the point of the text. Anna was faithful, and she fasted and prayed. But her heart was not like this Pharisee that Jesus is referring to here. Listen to what Ryle says. J.C. Ryle says this, Anna was a woman of much prayer. She served God with prayer night and day. She was continually communing with him as her best friend about the things that concerned her own peace. She was never weary of pleading with him on behalf of others and above all for the fulfillment of his promises of Messiah. You see, Anna had an expectation. She had an expectation that Messiah was coming. We as believers ought to have that expectation as well. Because the truth is Messiah is coming. He's returning. A non-praying Christian will not stay committed long to the calling God has on their life. Because their dependence is no longer on him, but their own self-effort. Anna's practice of fasting was one of expectation that God would move. And when Jesus shows up to the temple, there's only one thing that Anna could do. Give thanks. Anna was, number two, thankful. Verse 38. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. You see, Jesus' parents came into the temple to perform all the rituals that were to be expected, including the purification and Simeon prophesies, and Anna shows up excited, knowing that this is that same Jesus that she was expecting. She gives thanks. She gives thanks for Jesus finally arriving on the scene of human history. In Isaiah 52, 9, we read the following. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. This is what makes Christmas such a blessing to all of us that are broken and hurting. You see, Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. The question we ought to ask ourselves is how do we respond to the good news of Jesus' birth? Are we too focused on ourselves and our circumstances to even notice what a blessing this is? Anna may not have gotten married again, but that didn't matter. It wasn't about her. It was about him. It was about Jesus, and that's what we've been missing. It's about Christ. There should be a heart of gratitude that pours out to tell others of who God is. He's amazing in what he's done. Anna may not have had the success story that many of us would like to read about. 
but Jesus is what mattered to her. Her service to God and making his name known was what mattered most. So in light of that, number one, we ought to be grateful for God. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, we read the following. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's my question to you and me today. Are you grateful for God? I'm not just talking about what he's done for you. Are you thankful for God himself? If that's true, we ought to be thanking God privately in our prayers. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, most of you are very familiar with this text. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, should be included, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul reiterates this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, where he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A lot of people are trying to figure out what is God's will for my life. It's the big question we've asked since we were teenagers at, at, at uh, youth conferences. God's will is for you to live a life of thanksgiving. God's will is that we are a thankful people, not a complaining, murmuring people. The with thanksgiving part is missing in a lot of our prayers, is it not? How often when you pray do you truly thank God? Or is it always gimme, gimme? I need more. Truth is we simply are not grateful many times. We get to the request without acknowledging God for who he is and what he's done. Many times our circumstances dictate whether we thank God or not. Is that not true? What's going great? Thank you, Lord. When it's going terrible? No thank you. The circumstance determines whether we give thanks or don't. Listen to what Spurgeon mentions here. There should be a parallel between our supplications and our thanksgiving. We ought not to leap in prayer and limp in praise. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians limp in praise. You would think they never thank God for anything. It's always miserable. You see in the economy, have you seen how bad it is? Oh my goodness, when am I ever going to get anything right? There's not one glimmer of hope with some people. You see, the truth is, if you praise God and thank God privately, you're going to be praising God publicly. That's why it goes to the prayer life. In Psalm 9-1, it says this, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. Jumping to Psalm 26, 6-8, through 8, 
I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with a voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. You know why we are not thankful in public? Because we're not thankful in private. You can't fake that. You can't force that. When you're grateful for your salvation, you're grateful for whatever comes in this life, you can't help but thank God privately and tell others publicly. In fact, believer, your public praise of God is directly connected to your private thanksgiving and prayer. I'm going to say that again. Your public praise of God is directly connected to your private thanksgiving and prayer. It's also connected in how you say thank you for others in your life. Number two, grateful for others. If you don't understand the first one correctly, just as we are called to love God and love others, you will never properly show appreciation or gratitude for others. If you swap these, if you go, I want to be thankful for others without being thankful for God first, then you're going to be misapplying that. One of the difficulties of being grateful is to be sure our hearts are genuine. Believer, if there's an an analysis that we need to do is truly to ask God to show us whether we are genuine in our thanksgiving. But I said thanks on my Facebook profile. Great. What were you like the rest of the week? I mean, it was Thanksgiving. Everybody posted the pictures, right? Are you truly thankful, though? Or is it for show? The only way that we can truly consistently show gratitude for others is being sure to understand our gratitude for God for having delivered us from sin. See, I believe with all my heart that proper response and showing appreciation or gratitude for others will come from a proper gratitude for God, for who he is and what he's done. If that practice is established, we show God that we take his word seriously. We do as he has commanded. It flows in our gratitude for others who are made in the image of God. We start simply by doing something that many of us don't do. And this would revolutionize our relationships with others. We do what may be hard at times. We thank God for others. In 1 Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 2, we read this. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. You see, believer, you need to make it a point to thank God for the people in your life. Think about it, instead of just praying for help, you thank God for others. Before asking God to change them, thank God for them. 
was a revolutionary thought. Thank God for those people that are a nuisance to me. Are you nuts? Well, you can thank them for what you might not want to be. <laughs> That's one way, way you can figure that out. Think of how that prayer for others would go if you thank God for them. Would you not change in your disposition to those people? When you are grateful for others, you thank God for them. It shows up in your prayer life. So I want to ask you, how often do you pray for others thanking God for them? Like I, I'm going to be very bold on some of this, and I want you to, do, to truly pause and think through this. You're married. How often do you thank God for your spouse? I mean, is it regular? Or is it infrequent? How often do you say, God, thank you for my husband, for my wife? How about your children? How often do you thank God for them? One of the things that breaks my heart the most is when it comes to children, why would you not want that blessing? Children are such a blessing. Here's a hard one. How often do you pray and thank God for your boss? I have found sometimes the very things I thank God for, I didn't understand why until later God used them in my life. And I look back and I go, my goodness, if only I had learned that lesson earlier to thank God for them. Do you pray for others thanking God for your coworkers, those that work alongside you? One of the most powerful things that we can do as Christians is people that are in our proximity to ask if they need prayer for something. I will say I don't always do this well, but when I go through things, I do go up to a brother and ask, hey, can you pray for me? Uh, some of us are a little too proud of the fact that we have things we struggle with in our lives or things that are overwhelming us. We ought to be willing to thank God for people around us. And in some of the lowest points of my life, I thank God for the men that have been around. Thank God for the wife that he's given me. Here's a big one. Are you thankful for your church family? Man, this one hits home. This one hits home. This one's hard sometimes. Are you thankful for your church family? They're the family of God. They're brothers and sisters that are on the journey that you're on, heading towards heaven, and they've hit some bumps in the road, and it's hard. 
Here's probably the hardest one for us. That's why whenever it comes up for prayer requests, it kind of makes us all squirm. Are you thankful for those in authority? God, I love submitting. Is that you? Probably none of us. Now hold on a second, you might say. I'm supposed to thank God for the people that aren't all that nice or friendly in my life. Funny you and I may wonder about that. Let's see what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, here's what he says. Like, this is going to be a hard one for you to wrestle against. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and guess what phrase is in there? Giving of thanks be made for all men. What? God, are you crazy? For all men? What? For kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Well, I don't really think he means that. Well, you can wrestle with Scripture all you want, but the text says what it says. Think of how much easier it would be to minister to people that are far from God if you thank God for putting them in your life. Man, that pain, thank you, Lord, for them. Wow, that's radical, isn't it? That's crazy almost, right? To love your enemies, isn't that what Jesus called you to do? The most pathetic, unbearable, selfish people you know you can be grateful for. Because here's the truth, you and I have been one. Maybe we are currently, who knows? It doesn't tell you what exactly you should be thankful for in this text, just that you should be thankful. It's very possible that you're grateful that God uses them as a warning sign in your life, and you pray for their salvation. When you and I are grateful to God for others, God will in turn give us particular things he wants us to do to show we are grateful for them. Or another way of putting it, appreciate them. This is why it's so important to start by going to God in prayer. Because when you and I want to show our gratitude for others without a divine perspective, we'll do it all with a selfish heart. We're going to be thankful so we get something out of it. How would some of this be lived out practically if we started by being grateful for them by thanking God when they came to mind? Instead of thinking of all the things that really bother us about other people, what would change in our perspective if we thank God for that person that truly has caused us hurt? Maybe that person was an instrument that God used to show us more about who we are, our deficiencies.
You see, when we start by being grateful for God's grace, it affects us directly in our gratefulness for others who are made in the image of God because we want them to experience the same grace that we've received. Believer, you should desire so much that others know Jesus because you are so thankful for what he's done for you. And yet, unfortunately, we think so carnally and so little spiritually. What would change if we were thankful in marriage? You see, men, we show our appreciation or are grateful by loving our spouse the way Christ has loved us. We give of ourselves. Another word here is love as Christ loved. You show you are grateful for your spouse for how you sacrifice for her. Recognition. If you don't show proper recognition for your spouse, then you really aren't very grateful for your spouse. Ultimately, if they never come up as someone meaningful to you in your conversation with others, then they aren't really someone that you are very grateful for. Jerry Falwell said it this way, if your wife doesn't treat you as she should, be thankful. You may not like what you deserve. <clears throat> what about being thankful in the family? The family God's given you. When it comes to your siblings, how often do you feel a deep appreciation that you grew up with the siblings that you have? How often do you thank them for being in your life? Even those you may not get along with as well as you used to. Remember, because you are grateful for the grace of God, this flows into other areas of your life, especially the gratefulness for others. Even in the painful family situations, we can be grateful for those around us that have been a tool used to bring us to saving faith or a restoration with God when we may have walked away. You see, many of us have been more grateful for the, many of us should have been more grateful for the grace of God when we saw family members who just don't see what we see. And we should wish and long for them to experience the saving grace of God by thanking God for them and softening our heart to minister to them. I'll say this sincerely, church. I have, I have a heart of gratitude for the family God's given me with my siblings. And not everything is always aligned up the way you'd like. Everybody wants to have the picture-perfect family. They don't exist. And parents, those of us that are raising children, remember that. But the truth is, we ought to be grateful to God for them. We ought to pray for those that are lost in our families. Pray that God opens their hearts to the truth. See, another area that we could be grateful for others 
is in our work environment. We're grateful for everything God has provided us with, even the job that we work. We show gratitude by working as hard as we can for those that are in authority over us because God has instructed us to show honor towards others. All of this flows out of a heart of gratitude for the grace that's been given to us. You see, believer, you need to rethink your everyday encounters with people. We don't hold a grudge against those that do us wrong because we know the type of sinner we are. We respond with grace towards others because we are just so grateful that God decided to show us mercy. We show hospitality to others because we are grateful for the home that God has provided us with. Jesus is preparing a place for us. And that should always come to mind when we think of whether or not we ought to share what we've been given. We give to others in need because we know how needy we were and are spiritually. The fact that God took the time to help us out of the pit of sin and misery that we were in. In fact, there's a very neat truth in Ephesians 5 that is brought up in the conduct of a disciple of Christ. In Ephesians 5, 1 through 4, it says this. This is the New Living Translation. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, don't do all these things. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You see, all the stuff that the world wants to do when it comes to sexuality, greed, and even the inappropriate or crude jokes can be countered with one thing. Thankfulness to God. Do you want to know why the world makes fun of those things? Because it's ungrateful. Do you want to know why in co-worker situations there's always a conversation about spouses? Because they're ungrateful for who God's given them. Believers, that ought not be for us. Be careful that you do not joke about the very things that God holds sacred. Hold on. So being grateful to God, God counters all these things? Yes. Because most sins that you and I commit are out of un an unthankful heart that says, I don't want what you have, God. I want something that I want. Thanks, but no thanks. That's essentially our heart's cry many times. I thank you for what you've given me here, God, but I think this is better. And we do it all the time. Every one of us falls into that trap with sin. 
That's how covetous works. covetousness works. You and I cover things that we don't have because we're not thankful for what we have. If you're not grateful to God for what he's done, your gratitude for others will lack as well. It's one of the reasons why if you were to cut us open, is Jesus the one that people would find? Do we bleed for the red, white, and blue like we do in America, but we as Christians bleed for the Lord Jesus Christ? Does he literally flow through our veins, if you will? See, the reality is, is a lot of us, we have all these other things that come out of us that do not reflect him well. So in conclusion, I want to ask a simple question. Are you faithful and grateful? Being faithful is tough, especially when the going gets tough. You see, Anna could have given up being left alone as a widow, but that was never an excuse to quit being faithful, was it? No. Believer, what's stopping you from continuing to be faithful? What excuse do you think God would accept? Ask yourself that. What excuse do you think God would accept for not being faithful? Do you carry on no matter the circumstances? Or do circumstances dictate your faithfulness? When was the last time you said thank you personally to God for your salvation? You thank God, your Heavenly Father, for sending Jesus on your behalf and the Holy Spirit for giving you new life. When was the last time you said thank you by taking God's word seriously enough to do what he says? Not giving it merely lip service, but truly desiring to follow through in areas that are hard for you to let go of in your desires. Believer, if you and I do not struggle against sin, then we're not being honest with what Scripture says. If the Jesus you follow agrees with you 100% of the time, it's not the Jesus of the Bible you are following. It's the one you prefer. When was the last time you said thank you by praising God for what he has done publicly? And I'm not just saying thanking God for the stuff. The stuff is good, and we should be thankful for it. But some of the things that we mentioned earlier, for others. Are you known as someone that's thankful for people around you? Are you truly thankful for what God's done in your life? Or is being thankful just a private thing? Don't tell anybody about it. I'm quietly thankful. Maybe you're just not all that thankful. Because the reality is usually what's on the inside comes out. You see, what you and I pursue, desire, long for will come out in our conversations. 
When was the last time you showed gratefulness for others by thanking God for them? It may very well be the tool God uses to bring them to saving faith or restore that relationship with him. If you've just not been grateful for people in your life, you need to repent and thank God for them today. Maybe even let them know if given the opportunity. One of the saddest things that I see happen to many, um, and I know it's an area that I truly have strived to be an example in because there's a lot of areas I'm not as good in as others, is I don't want to be thankful for somebody only when they're gone. One of the saddest things is when we bring flowers and roses on someone's grave, but we never thank them in, in person when they were alive. Maybe the very breakthrough you need this Christmas is actually going outside of your comfort zone and thanking somebody instead of critiquing like we always like to do. Andrew Murray says this in closing. Let us thank God heartily as often as we pray that if we have his spirit in us to teach us to pray, thanksgiving will draw our hearts out to God and keep us engaged with him. It will take our attention from ourselves and give the spirit room in our hearts.